turn to our series in Titus. And if you would, turn to Titus chapter 2. We have been in Titus now for a little over a month. And this is an opportunity for us to continue on this pastoral letter written by Paul to a younger man named Titus who is a respected and very effective co-worker of Paul. Paul sends this man into difficult situations. And as we have learned in the past weeks, the island of Crete, which is where Titus is located and where this letter is written to, the island of Crete is a place where the gospel has been proclaimed, where churches have been started, and where much, much controversy and heresy, false teaching has infiltrated this this family of churches and has created just an uproar and and harmed lives. And so Paul is writing to Titus to that end. If you look with me now, he has all this time in in chapter 1, which we finished up last time in chapter 1, he was writing to Titus to appoint elders, to get things into order. He was identifying the false teachers, who they are and what they do. He he says in verse 10 of chapter 1, there are many who are insubordinate, they're empty talkers, they're deceivers, Um, especially those of the circumcision party, the the Jews who, who had come to faith in Christ. They were actually professing Christians. But as we read later on, Paul writes, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. They have been teaching false doctrine and their lives as a result of the false doctrine that they believe, the false, the false um, teachings that they're giving, their lives demonstrate that because they're not living for Christ. They're not living as Christ intends for them to live. And so Paul moves right into chapter 2. And this is what he writes. Look at me with me in verse 1 of chapter 2. So, but as for you, so in, in, in contrast to these false teachers, in contrast to those who profess to know God but deny Him by their works, in contrast to those who are detestable and disobedient and unfit for any good work, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. One 10-year-old boy who was at a guest at a vacation Bible school was asked by his mom when he got home what he had learned at VBS. And he gave this report. Our teacher told us about when God sent Moses behind the enemy lines to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians. When they came to the Red Sea, Moses called for the engineers to build a pontoon bridge. After they had all crossed, he looked back and saw the Egyptian tanks coming. Quick as a flash, Moses radioed headquarters on his walkie-talkie to send bombers to blow up the bridge and save the Israelites. Bobby, his surprised mother exclaimed, is that really the way your teacher told the story? Well, not exactly, he confessed. But if I told it her way, you'd never believe it. (laughs) Getting scripture right is crucial to being a healthy Christian and crucial to having a healthy church. Getting doctrine 
right determines the course of how we live as individuals and as members of this local church. Over the past century, many, many people and many churches have abandoned, like these men on Crete, they've abandoned sound doctrine for pragmatism, what is practical and and human wisdom. And tragically, in the life of the church in the last 100 years, 150 years, it has been destructive. Dorothy Sayers, who is an early 20th century English mystery writer, but also a well-known Christian, said this more than 70 years ago. She said, official Christianity of late years has been having what is known as bad press. We are constantly assured that churches are empty because preachers insist too much upon doctrine, dull dogma, as people call it. The fact is the precise opposite. It is the neglect of doctrine that makes for dullness. The Christian faith is the most exciting drama that staggered the imagination of man. And doctrine is the drama. Many years later, J.I. Packer wrote this. He said, modern muddle-headedness and confusion as to the meaning of faith in God are almost beyond description. People say they believe in God, but they have no idea who it is they believe in or what difference believing in him may make. The point is, sound doctrine has always been under attack from Crete through Dorothy Sayers' time to J.I. Packer's time to our day as well. Sound doctrine has always been under attack. Who, who hasn't heard comments in, in their local church experience over time where people will say, well, doctrine divides. All, all, all I want to do is just love Jesus. I don't want any of this doctrine stuff. Why do we have to fight over doctrine? But Paul, Paul is clear. Doctrine doesn't divide as commented. What doctrine does is it sets the course to live the life as God intended for the people of God. It sets the boundary rails for us on how we are to live. And so f- for doctrine to be sound, it, it must be correct so it produces its intended effect. So three points this morning from this passage, the need for sound doctrine, the effect of sound doctrine, and the source of sound doctrine. The need for sound doctrine, the effect of sound doctrine, and the source of sound doctrine. Look at verse 1, the need for sound doctrine. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. On Crete, sound doctrine has been replaced by heresy, by man-made myths, as we read here in, in, in chapter 1 of this book. Man-made myths and man-made commands that destroyed the truth of the gospel. These empty talkers and deceivers, they upset 
entire households. Paul writes in, in verse 10 of 1, for there are many who are insubordinate, they're empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain. So, and so here these, these men are teaching and they are upsetting entire households. They're setting households where, where churches meet, households where families are gathered, households who are, who are trying to pursue God and they are, they are teaching these false doctrines and they are upsetting because it's not truth. And, and truth, it has no anchor. It becomes relative. It becomes subjective. It becomes what you want it to become. And it changes by experience. Whereas sound doctrine is biblical truth, which never changes. And so Paul is instructing Titus here to, to preach what is, what is sound and, the, and what accords with sound doctrine. And he, Titus has been tasked, as we saw in chapter 1, verse 5, he said, This is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained into order. And he does that by appointing elders in these town. Elders who will proclaim, who will teach, who will instruct. As he says in verse 9 of chapter 1. They will instruct in sound doctrine. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so that is what Paul is tasking Titus to do. But it isn't just the teaching of sound doctrine that Paul is requiring of Titus. That is of great importance, but it's also the application of sound doctrine to the life of every believer in these churches. The the Cretan believers were to live their lives in a way that properly reflected their salvation. As for you indicates a transition between the false teachers and Titus, the false teachers who taught heresy. And, and Paul writes here, they, things that they ought not to teach. And, and you've got to understand that that is happening not only here, it happens in our day and age as well. You are, I am inundated. We are assaulted by teachers who teach things they ought not to teach. And the internet... The internet, in many ways, is a graveyard of ideas. So Titus is being tasked to teach an ethical lifestyle that accords with sound doctrine. And after rebuking and silencing these heretics, as he was commanded to do, he is to teach the outcome of sound doctrine, what it's going to look like practically in the lives of these believers so that they can say, okay, what I, what I believe, this is how I live. What I understand, this is what I do. If somebody looks at me, this is what they see. They see Christ in me. Listen, sound doctrine reflects it affects every relationship that you you have with your family with your church with the lord and and with as a witness to the world in in titus 2 5 paul is writing and he says listen here's what men and women and what what the church is to be it's to be self-controlled pure working at home kind and submissive to their own husbands that 
the word of God may not be reviled. And then in verse 8, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And in verse 10, so that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. Three times in this section that is written to older men, older women, younger women, younger men, slaves, all all these passages are communicating. Listen, it's your relationship to one another, your relationship to the church, and your relationship to the world. And three times Paul is clear. Look, what you do and how you live affects those around you. They watch, they see, and they, they take note. Are you who you say you are? Do you live as you profess? Because as we saw in verse 16, they profess to know God, but they, are, they deny him by their works. And Paul is saying, oh. Cretans, I want these Cretans. I, I don't want them to profess to know God and deny them and deny him by their works. I, I want their works to adorn the gospel, to adorn the glory of God. See, Paul's great concern is protecting the reputation of the gospel in the eyes of a watching world, a reputation that stands and falls on the church's ethical behavior. That's how serious this is to Paul. And to understand the application of sound doctrine, we must first understand the definition of sound doctrine because this is what they need. They need sound doctrine. They need sound doctrine so they know how to live it out. So let me ask some questions. How do you know your doctrine is sound? If I asked you this morning when you walked in, do you believe in sound doctrine? I guarantee you, knowing this group, every one of you say, oh yeah, I, I believe in sound doctrine. Great. How do you know your doctrine is sound? Well, Devin does because he's a PhD candidate and he should know. <laughs> if asked, could you articulate what sound doctrine is? Don't worry, there's no quiz, nor is not passing out quiz papers. You won't be graded. But you are graded every day. You're graded every day because what you believe determines how you live. What you understand affects the decisions you make. How you view life and God. Your worldview. Is it seen through the lens of God's eyes? Or is it seen through the lens of your own human wisdom? Bobby Jameson defines sound doctrine in this way. Sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. Sound doctrine is a summary of the Bible's teaching that is both faithful to the Bible and useful for life. Now, sound, the word sound there, it it means reliable, stable, healthy. So sound doctrine sums up the message of the Bible. God, man, Christ response. It tells us not just where we are in life, but but who we are and who God is and how God has saved us from sin and how God has enabled us to live lives that are pleasing to him. Sound doctrine. The word doctrine simply means 
teaching, a particular, so the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. What's the Bible's teaching on the Holy Spirit? And you, and you just don't take one verse, you go throughout this, the entire scripture and you, you see, okay, this is what the scripture in context as a whole teaches about the Holy Spirit. That's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And you go through and, and you learn the doctrine of prayer and the doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of man and the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Christ. And, and we call that systematic theology. And then how that all fits together in context, because the Bible is one story. It's the story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. We call that biblical theology, the, that, that thread that runs all the way through about the redemption of man. And how we understand that. And how we make that apply to our lives. Sound doctrine must be real. It must be real when our lives seem out of control. Is God sovereign? When we're going through a painful trial, is God good? When we're burdened by sin, is God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and promising to forgive sin? Is God that way? Every doctrine of the Bible is relevant to our lives. And what fits and flows from sound doctrine is ethical behavior. And that is what Titus is to teach. And so Paul says, okay, first, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. That is why we need sound doctrine. And secondly, what is the effect of sound doctrine? And Paul goes on. Here's the effect of sound doctrine in verse 2. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in steadfastness. These, he wants these Cretan believers to live as God intends. Believers must maintain a conduct that's in accord with healthy doctrine. And this is why, this is, this is why pastors preach. This is why Devin and I are called to preach. It's why we we come here each Sunday. The preaching, this preaching of Titus, we preach this because it's sound doctrine. And there's, there's a purpose behind our preaching. And there's a purpose behind your being attentive and being a good listener. Okay, whatever it is that you, you're wondering what you're having for lunch, think about it now and then let it go. Bobby Jameson again said, Listen, as pastors preach and teach sound doctrine, our minds are gradually conformed to the mind of Christ. Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Week by week, day by day, we uproot lies and plant truths. As those truths take root in our hearts, they transform our desires, affections, and actions. Just as a healthy diet leads to a sound body, so a diet of sound doctrine in preaching produces holiness in a church's members. Paul gives Titus guidelines of what accords to sound doctrine. And in his message, he is clear and his imperatives, his commands are clear and forceful and straightforward. There's no confusion. Paul is addressing Certain groups of people. He's addressing old men. He's addressing 
seasoned ladies, he's addressing younger women, and he's addressing young men, and he's addressing slaves. Listen, Paul's message is clear. There is no confusion about who Paul is talking to. There's no confusion here about gender and age and roles. Today, these distinctions have been obliterated by our secular culture's demands and failing human wisdom, which are in direct opposition to God's wisdom. Sound doctrine teaches that male and female, he created them. Paul, he pulls no punches. Titus, you must instruct in sound doctrine and its implications. Oh, David, David Platt said this. He says, we live in a culture drowning in gender confusion. The lines for many years have become blurred for what it means to be a man or a woman, what it means to be a masculine man and a woman who is feminine. The church is being shaped by the secular culture more than the sacred scripture. Never has the church needed more desperately to hear the words from Titus 2, 2 through 8. This is a text that makes God's plan, God's assignment, God's roles for men and women in the church plain and clear. And so where does Paul begin? Paul begins with the effect of sound doctrine on older guys. He says, older men. What accords with sound doctrine in the life of an older man? Now, when Paul says older men, he literally means old men. He doesn't mean men who are called to be elders. He doesn't mean, he means old men. Guys like me. Guys who's, who have less hair on their head than they did 20 years ago. Or have white hair on their head. Guys who creak when they walk. Old men. Now, listen, it might be a temptation for you to wander off in your mind if you're not an old man. But don't think for a minute this biblical truth doesn't apply to you as well. It has application for every Christian. Young men, young men, you're going to be old one day, so listen up. Young women, if you marry, you'll be married to an old guy one day. So listen up. Seasoned ladies, you are married to an old man right now. And you can learn something about him, but also about yourself. So, wives of older men, put your elbows to the side. No bruising of the men's ribs this morning. In Robert Smith's book on preaching called Doctrine That Dances, which is what I borrowed from for the title of this message, he makes this statement to preachers. He says, the preacher that handles the word must first be touched by that word. The preacher that handles the word must first be touched by that word. I I pray that this happens each time I preach. And in this passage, it not only does that hits my heart, but it, it, it's where I am in my place in life. I'm an old man. I'll be 64 in just a few weeks. I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I am AARP eligible. I am given senior discounts now, not even when asking. I don't have to ask, which is really irritating. And I'm aware that somewhere in the middle, I'm in the middle of, of life's back nine and I'm just hoping to make it to the 18th hole. 
Paul addresses older men because of the influence they have in the church and because he knows himself what it is to be old. He, he speaks from experience as an older guy. If you read in Philemon 9, Paul says, I, I'm an old man. So he knows what they're facing. And, and what he's saying, listen, listen, guys, here, old men, here's you know, sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in steadfastness. The temptation for older guys, older guys, is to settle. It's to settle. I, I've, I've worked my work. I'm, I'm, I'm semi-retired. I'm retired now. I've, I've, I've put my time in. I've, I've served in the church. I, had a, I did a pastoral interview many years ago with an older couple. They were in their late 50s. Actually, they're younger than me, so they're a younger couple. But they were in their late 50s at the time, and we were doing their membership interview. And they came in, and, and they were telling me, listen, we're, we're in our late 50s, and we've, we've been serving in the church for 30 years. We're, we're done serving. We've done our time. And I just said, wow. This church isn't the place for you. We don't stop when we turn 55. And so we don't settle. Rather than these character qualities diminishing of of sober-mindedness and dignity and self-control and soundness in faith and love and steadfastness, rather than diminishing as we get older, they should only get better as we get older. The problem is, is that as we do get older, we experience many changes that tend to sidetrack us. Changes, typically we experience a decrease in energy, a decrease in vision, a decrease in hearing, a decrease in hearing. More aches and pains, more infirmities that lead to depression and loneliness and discourage and even cynicism. In fact, Ecclesiastes, we, we did this when we taught through Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 12, the writer of Ecclesiastes speaks to old men, to men who have gotten old in, in 12.3. He says, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent over And the grinders cease, talking about the teeth that no longer exist. Those are the grinders because they are few. They've all fallen out. And those who look through the windows are dim. Their their eyesight's growing old. And the doors to the street are shut. When the sound of grinding is low, they can barely hear. And I mean, that's, that's getting old. And guys don't like change as they get old. I recently face this lack of desire to change when Marilyn suggested we rearrange our bedroom. Why? I like the bed where it is. Well, it'll save wear on the carpet. Who cares about the carpet? I like the bed where it is. I'm not changing the bed. It's my bed. You change your side of the bed. I'm not changing my side of the bed. Now, Paul has a much different role for old guys than being curmudgeonly old geezers who scream, what? And swipe at you with their cane. He's telling us that as we age, we should have a greater love for God. A greater love for his church. And a greater love for those who are separated in this world from the grace of God. 
He's telling us to finish well, to run the race with endurance, as Hebrews 12 tells us, until we cannot run any more. Older, older men are critical to the good health of this church. Critical to the good health of this church. I, I didn't see this in my younger years. I was part of a church staff, part, part of a staff leadership team at the age of 28. And at times, it was not pretty. We didn't listen well to older men. We assumed that they were just old. They didn't like our music. They didn't like our dress. They didn't like the way we did things. They didn't like our incredibly great and insightful ideas. Well, it wasn't with that. I mean, they were great ideas. What we missed was their incredible wisdom that would have saved us from really stupid mistakes that we made. Older men are crucial to the good health of a local church. D. Edmund Hybert in his commentary says this, old men play a very important part in the life of the church, but the extent of their influence will depend wholly, wholly upon the sweetness and mellowness of the Christian character. So guys, old guys, Hybert here saying, hey, is your character sweetness? Is it mellow? And then Paul goes on to describe that. Here's what this looks like. Sober minded. Now, initially that, that, that first carries specifically not addicted to, to much wine, but it's much more than that. It's a, it's an attitude of being temperate in response to life. I mean, older guys, they don't, they don't get jazzed up the way younger guys do when something happens. They're, their, their emotion quotient is a lot lower. Um, younger guys have more energy and they can get excited. Um, you know, old, you don't see a lot of older guys that, you know, watching a sports thing, jumping up and down and banging on the TV and pointing to the TV and yelling at the TV. And, and you know, it's like, hey, it, it, they're going to be playing again next week. Who really cares? Um, I mean, just older guys, they're... <laughs> Older guys are good people. Older guys, they, they, they have their priorities in right order. They're, they're satisfied with the life God has provided. They're level-headed. They're careful when making judgments. Um, they're serious in purpose with, with a gravity to that purpose, but never gloomy. That's, that's sober-minded. And that's, that's, that comes with age. It comes with, with a lack of energy in some respects, but it comes with more. It comes with wisdom because you've gained it by experience. Listen, if you have no regrets when you go get older, I can tell you, you haven't learned anything. Regrets teach us, and older men have that. And not only are they sober-minded, they're dignified. There's an observable manner of that they're worthy of respect. And guys, let me encourage you, young men, watch and listen to the older guys. Now, th- these men haven't lived perfect lives. But if you, if you do the research and you look behind the scenes in their lives, you will see they live genuine lives. Genuine lives for Christ. And they are worthy of respect. And older guys, because of that, you should also be willing to listen to the younger guys. 
Because God uses them in your life as well. Another one is self-control. Now, this issue, self-control, is, is noted five times in this passage in each of the areas that, that we are to, to live. But particularly for older men, it, it means a, a measured restraint, a, a consistent theme that's in this section very much is the central point of this section of being self-controlled, much to the opposite of the foolish Cretans who were not self-controlled. They were, as we see, they were detestable. They were unfit for any good work. They were disobedient. That's who the Cretans were. But, but Paul is saying, look, these older men, they need to be, they need to be self-controlled, well-balanced, regulated mind, controlling worldly passions. And as you see down in, in verse 11 of chapter 2, for the grace of God, God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We are to renounce worldly passions. And older guys, you are to renounce old, those worldly passions. No careless. And, and if you listen to older guys, they are, they are more measured, typically, in their speaking. They measure their words a little more carefully. Unless they've given in to being curmudgeonly. So they're to be self-controlled. Now, older guys, it doesn't serve us to be grumpy. But self-controlled in our speech. (laughs) The music's too loud. That won't work. We've tried it before. If only things were the way they used to be. Ever hear that from an older guy? Oh, the good old days. Listen. I don't know about you, but in my life, the good old days had plenty of bad old days. We, we need to control our attitudes about life and, and change. Like I, I talked about, that, we can't have bad attitudes. The older we get, the less we do like to change, and we can have attitudes about it. Listen, go, old guys, listen, that, that old ratty easy chair that your wife lets you sit in, that smells and is torn and ripped, when you die, it's gone so, so just let her get rid of it now. Let change come. Don't be grumpy. Be self-controlled. And the last one is spiritually sound in heart. Sound in faith. Men who are confident and trust in God. Anchored in the gospel. Even in the midst of, of the changes that occur. When your knees don't work the same way, your mind doesn't work the same way, your hearing doesn't work the same way, your eyesight doesn't work the same way. In fact, nothing works the same way. And even though you try to be the $6 million man with all new body parts, it just doesn't work. New body parts make noises going through metal detectors. New body parts make creaking noises when you get up in the morning. You're just getting old. And how you, how you handle this, what attitudes you have, the faith you have towards God as you get old. Because getting old, honestly, it's not easy at times. Are you, are you sound in faith? Do you trust the Lord when you're going through the aging process and your body is decaying? John McDuff, in a message many, many decades ago, said, even when I cannot trace his hand, I can trust his heart. And that is what we do. Even as old men, when when we can't see the hand of God, we know the heart of God. 
And men who love, men who exemplify the, the love of Christ for the world to see. John fifteen thirty five that they will know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. By the way you love me and the way you love one another. And steadfastness. Patience in life is so necessary when growing old. John MacArthur said this. He said, older men are to be sound in perseverance. They're to exhibit the ability to endure hardship, to accept disappointment and failure, to be satisfied despite thwarted personal desires and plans. They have learned to live graciously, graciously live with such difficulties as physical weakness, loneliness, and being misunderstood and unappreciated. They do not lose heart when things do not turn out the way they had hoped and expected, but have the perfect confidence that, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's who we are, guys, older guys. And last quote, Philip Towner said this, brave patience with which the older Christian endures the trials and tribulations of life without losing heart or courage is very needful in old age with its increasing infirmities, disappointed aspirations and growing loneliness. It is the blessed office of the religion of Christ at such a time to lift the soul above complaints and murmurings and despair and inspire it with patient resignation heavenly fortitude and ever brightening hope and it is where this effect is produced in the actual life that the gospel shines forth in its highest glory before men guys how we age proclaims the gospel for the good or for the bad Now, we have in this church an incredible wealth of older men who have been running the race for a long time and are very deserving and worthy of our honor and respect. And as I say your name, I want you to stand if you can. That's not meant to be funny. That's just meant to be real. And it is, I mean, you'd laugh, but that's the reality. Larry Earls, Tom Ryan, Larry Westy, who's out serving in the hallway, running the race. Chris Mays, stand guys, Tom Menard, obey your pastor. Mike Stogsdill, Jim Thompson, Larry Keyes, Dave Barnett, Craig Barker, Walt Rohr, Patrick Boleen, the baby of the group, Steve Griney. Roel Pons, Chuck Price, Gene Mongalusa, who is homesick, and Roger Hooper. Can you honor and thank these men for the service that they have done? Thank you, guys. You may sit back in your rockers. That is the effect of sound doctrine. Older men live lives who are sober and self-controlled and dignified and sound in faith and love and patience. But that doesn't come from just anywhere. There's the source, and that's the third point, the source of sound doctrine. And look a little further down in verse 11 through 14. 
Paul writes here is, here's where sound doctrine, this is sound doctrine, this is doctrine, this is truth. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And then he says this, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So he opens with, but as for you, teach. And then he tells Titus, but declare these things. And so that is what is happening today. I am declaring these things to old guys, to our church, the source of sound doctrine. And this is where we will be accessible. It is the gospel. It is The glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We would not be zealous for good works if it were not for Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and his sending the Holy Spirit that we might live for God. Listen, to live for Christ, we must have Christ. And to have Christ, we must have repented of our sins and trusted in his work on the cross where he willingly suffered and willingly died and then rose again from the grave. We've been given new life in Christ. This is the source of our sound doctrine. It is the gospel. It is the good news that that we can be sober-minded and not grumpy. We can be dignified and not shameful like the Cretans. We can be self-controlled. We can be sound in faith and sound in love and sound in patience. Brothers, older men, as I speak to you today, that's who we can be. Let us run this race well. And listen, you are, you are not alone in this endeavor. The grace of God has appeared. Christ has come and he's done this work. He's redeemed us from being enslaved to sin. We don't need to grow old as angry, disappointed, unappreciated men. We grow old knowing that Christ is clinging to us. We, we grow old knowing that we are moving towards a day that we work and labor to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That we are alive in Christ and one day we will be a more, more alive in Christ than words can describe. But until that day, let us look to Christ and Christ alone. Let us look to the author and finisher of our faith. Brothers, here's what I'm asking. Survey your life now. Where does the gospel need to do its work as you continue aging? Where in your life do you need to accord with sound doctrine? 
We, we don't have as much time left as others do, brothers. So let's use our time wisely to live rightly for the glory of God. Brothers, old guys, let us age well. Let us finish well. And let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to age, to continue.